All right. Sweet, brother. All right, let's do this, man. So right. <clears throat> how you doing? How's that knee doing? Yeah, it's not too bad, man. It's uh, it's a crack more than an actual complete break, so I'm fortunate, really. It's, uh, awesome. Yeah, so a couple of weeks, I should be back on my feet. Yeah. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. All right, well, let's, uh, let's get started. Why don't we uh, have you introduce yourself a little bit, give us a little uh, background about you. Yeah, of course. So uh, my name's Dan. Um, been primarily a flexibility coach. Uh, been coaching flexibility for 22 years in a professional capacity. Um, that's from the back of like doing martial arts since I was about three, four years old. Um, approaching 40 now, so <laughs> got a few years under, under the uh, bit, bit of mileage on the clock. Um, but yeah, so I started doing like karate, taekwondo when I was really young. And I was blessed to have instructors who were very uh, science-based so they had like bachelor's degrees and master's degrees in kinesiology or physical education so there's always been that science uh, background there um, and then in the sort of like mid to late 90s I trained a lot with Thomas Kurz um, okay. author of uh, stretching scientifically went to God, must be you know 30 40 seminars at least um, communicated with the guy a lot um, read his book <laughs> like yeah. like it's a religious text um, yeah and just started uh, coaching flexibility within the martial arts sessions um and then they became more popular than the actual martial arts classes mm. um and since then just yeah really focused on science-based flexibility coaching um yeah and in the sort of like last few years especially um focused more on education rather than actual coaching so kind of training the trainers mm-hmm. um yeah and that's that's the way i'm headed now so it's uh, it's all good man yeah that's, that's awesome that's Let's let's uh, talk a little bit more about the the martial arts and give us some background on that. Yeah, so it, it started with uh, like um, like freestyle karate when I was, which is kind of like point fighting um, mm-hmm. or light contact kickboxing when I was a kid. Um, I've done Olympic style taekwondo, uh, ITF taekwondo, um, Kyokushin, Muay Thai. Um, I've got about six black belts <laughs> uh, nice. to my name. Um, yeah, uh, so um, I competed quite a lot as a kid um when like national trophies uh, i was on the england national karate team for five years uh, both as a coach and as an athlete um won like world titles in in full contact sparring um which is great because it was open weight because uh a lot of people don't know i'm actually really really short i'm only like a little over five foot two um so uh, I, there, there was really no division at kind of like my height and weight so i had to fight up Right. So I'd be fighting guys, guys who were like 20, 30 pounds heavier. Um, and to equalize that, I had to be able to kick them in the head. So right. that's where the focus, yeah, that's where the focus and flexibility came from as well. Okay. Um, there we go. Yeah. 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 So I've won, I've won trophies in Taekwondo, karate, uh, kickboxing. Um, yeah. I haven't competed in a few years now. Um, but yeah. Uh, so it's primarily stand up fighting martial arts, like the striking arts. Right. Um, right. I, I, I have a bit of background in, in judo um, and a tiny, tiny bit in, in jujitsu. Um, but, but nothing that's, that's really at any sort of uh, competitive level, you know, right. uh, I know your background is jujitsu, isn't it? Uh, well, so my background would be primarily Muay Thai and, and striking, um, yeah. some wrestling, um, the jujitsu. So in, in my twenties, so I'm, 35, almost 36 now. Uh, in my 20s, I was I was doing MMA, um, mm-hmm. and at that time, you know, jujitsu was kind of just starting to become popular. But me being like such a striker background, you know, I was yeah. 
I was almost anti, like, I'm not going to go on the ground and wrestle with you or, 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 you know, the submission bullshit. I thought, I almost thought it was kind of nonsense, you know, I was, I was yeah. so naive, uh, but I had to train it, you know, to defend it. So it was, and it was always only no gi. So never yeah. trained in a gi, uh, never did any of that. And then, so more recently, you know, missing martial arts so much, I was like, what can I do that I'm not going to completely destroy my body getting back into it you know yeah. with, with muay thai you know sparring anything you mean constantly breaking feet toes fingers so um <laughs> i decided to get into jujitsu and, and set a little goal of um you know let's get your black belt by 45 or something like that give myself right. 10 years um yeah. so yeah that's something i've just been doing for the last year now um but having the the past experience with martial arts and, and wrestling and stuff like that it, it was uh a lot easier for me to get into. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, of course, of course. Yeah, so now, now I'm in love with it, and it's 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 everything, right? Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, going back to more with flexibility, right? So let's talk mm -hmm. about flexibility. We we know there's a lot of misconceptions about flexibility. Mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, we've talked about this in the past on your podcast. Yeah, a little bit, but um, let's let's start there. Let's start with. Um, the myths right the misconceptions and and some of the popular ones so uh let's start with does flexibility make you weak mm. depends on how you train it right um it's same with uh strength training right uh does strength training make you weak well it can if you don't train the need the ranges that you need right so for people who are listening and aren't familiar um flexibility is is range of motion that's how it's defined ubiquitously throughout the literature right if mm. we're taking a science-based approach um we should be led by the literature in my opinion um so you know you read like 90 percent plus of, of the literature defines flexibility as range of motion mm. and we we know from the conditions of movement um we can be moving or still we can be contracting or relaxing that we can draw different types of range of motion therefore different Correct. types of flexibility and how we train under those conditions dictates what a body's going to do. Mm -hmm. So if somebody's definition of flexibility is just hanging out at end range and not doing anything, you know, not tensing the muscles or not adding any load, that's all that their body's going to get used to. Um, so they're not building any strength that the strength won't increase. Their strength will probably plateau or even decrease. Right. Um, because, for people who aren't familiar, strength is kind of like on a, on a, like a bell curve in a way, mm -hmm. depending on, on the length of the tissues. And we tend to be strongest more or less in the middle um, of, that, of that kind of, of that curve, um, in the middle of range. But we can use certain interventions to strengthen both the shorter and longer ranges, right? So, but if your flexibility training isn't building strength at the, the furthest and shortest ranges, then you're not going to get stronger. You are going to be weaker in those ranges. But if we go by what science says. And we know there are different types of flexibility training, things like contract relax or CRAC, um, whatever name people want to give to it, that will build strength because we're using isometric contractions to number one, overcome the neuroflexive responses, mm -hmm. like the strict reflex, and also to build structural strength in the tissues. So it's, it's the kind of get out of jail free card response that most coaches will say is it depends, right? right. If your if your flexibility training is passive, then you will be weak, right? Uh, but if it incorporates strength, uh, strength, a strength based approach, then you will get stronger at that range. Um, and it's kind of like flexibility and strength are almost like two sides of the same coin, right? Right? Because 
you can only express strength in the ranges that you have, right? Mm -hmm. So you could be freakishly strong, but if you don't have the range that you need to express that strength, then when you get take, when, when life, sport, whatever forces you out of your comfort zone mm -hmm. and you don't have the ability to express strength in those ranges, well, you know, welcome to the suck. You're going to get injured, right? Absolutely. So. So again, it's one of those, does flexibility make you weak? It can, but so can strength training, right? So you yeah. kind of have to marry, marry the two together to, to create strength through length and strength at length. But also as well, the bit that people miss is creating strength in those much shorter ranges as well. Because when we, when we look at things like isometric stretching, which is where you stretch the tissues and then contract them, we have to tense the tissues and build strength on the opposite side of the joint as well right you know it's uh yeah so yeah the short answer is it depends but um you know if you're smart about it you can create strength through length and that's the way sh people should be going you know absolutely. the, the absolutely. best systems gone yeah yeah no absolutely i i i completely agree uh, uh strength and length yeah. is is you're, you're you're seeing more people say that now and, and i like it i'm, I'm glad i'm glad yeah. that <clears throat> instead of looking at them as two opposing things and which one is better we're realizing that i mean really you you need both and you can't really have one without the other i mean if you want to move like a, a human is intended to move um you know optimally you have to have flexibility the range of motion and, and the strength the capacity to withstand whatever it is you're doing you know to carry out the task yeah absolutely um, and it's I like think, if you go go ahead no go ahead go ahead I was just going to say, if you look at kind of like, I know there's a lot of systems out there, yeah. but if you, if you boil down all of the best systems in the world to their core ingredients, whether you're following Thomas Kurz's material, mm -hmm. whether you're um, doing FRC, whether you're doing a range of strength, uh, athletic truth group, um, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch out there, Charles Poliquin stuff. They all have the same core ingredients, which is yeah. that they develop range of ranges of motion that people need where they need, where they need it and the ability to produce strength in those ranges to not, not only to make gains in range of motion much quicker, but to stabilize them and to make them much safer. And, and the fact that you can use them as well, that's what they all share. Absolutely. You know, everything else is really just variables and, and your, your preference of, of, of approaching a certain, yeah. certain problem, you know? So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree. I, uh, you know, after first talking to you, um, I'm starting to follow you. Uh, I started, you know, coming across other people uh, with very similar mm -hmm. approaches, right? And I think it comes down to it's really just terminology that's that's mm -hmm. that's really differentiating a lot of us, but also causing a lot of confusion, right? Mm -hmm. Because a yeah. lot of people are like, "Oh, what you're doing is wrong," or "This is better." And then I realized, like, we're all actually kind of doing the same shit. The people that are being mm -hmm. successful with with the flexibility training, yeah. um, you know, maybe I call it mobility training. Um, mm -hmm. And as we we've, we've discussed before, I mean, we know mm -hmm. mobility in itself really is a collective. Mm -hmm. motor abilities right it's it's the yep. cumulative of everything that makes the movement right um but but for the sake of it you know keep it simple uh it, it at its core it's still flexibility training right because we're mm -hmm. we're either trying to achieve a range of motion we need yeah um but if we already have it right we have that passive ability mm -hmm. and we're trying to build strength and capacity and control over that right so right i, I think in the end our our, our goals are all the same mm -hmm. um you know, and that's kind of the, one of the things about this podcast that I'm starting um, is that I really want to get this information out there. There's so much smoke within our industry and there's so much bullshit, you know, right. I think the sooner people start coming together and, and, and getting on the same page, 
you know, uh, the better off the, the clientele and the people seeking to get fitter and healthier will be. Right. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why in the last kind of like, you know, five years or so, I've really focused on education more than coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, because number one, personally, I felt I'd kind of hit a hit a ceiling in terms of, co- I mean, we can always improve and develop, but I kind of gotten a bit stagnant and bored with coaching. Mm-hmm. And I, I just saw there was so much, like you say, smoke and mirrors and noise out there confusing the, the core message. And I, you know, uh, so I started out teaching at universities and then started doing like private seminars and workshops with like dance companies and gymnastics groups. And I used to have a, an acronym, which I like, which is um, SSDN, same shit, different name. Yeah. Right. It's, I love it. I love it. And that's the thing. And bear in mind that, you know, the confusion, it, it, we have to separate it into two camps. There are those who, who don't do it on purpose. They're just repeating what they've been told, mm-hmm. you know, the, which is the legacy of their education, right. which might be down to the, the, the university they attended or the training course they went on. And in a lot of cases, those courses or those degree programs use that terminology because they found it was easier to, define certain things in in a certain way and that's how they were getting their message across but on the other side which is the and i don't have a problem with that really but the problem i have is when people in the industry are purposely use you know saying certain things about flexibility or about strength training or about certain techniques like um you know that we should only train strength at certain joint angles and that we shouldn't try to increase range of motion which goes against physiology right, right? it's it, it's absolutely crazy that in my opinion is the problem with the industry is these people who are for whatever reason making a concerted effort to to create more noise and more smoke in the industry whether they want to stand out or they've got some kind of agenda i don't know um i don't try to spend too much time on it i just try to put out you know what science says on the subject and leave people to make up their own minds right um but we have to be mindful that just because people are saying certain things doesn't mean that they're doing it on purpose um it may be just through you know the way they've been taught or it may be that they just found a way that for them and in their in the context of their training programs and their environment that's what works for them and that's fair enough but it's when people when people say you know um you know flexibility is x or flexibility is y and you can't do this it's like um you know i had a bit of a conversation um on social media a while ago with a coach who basically said that um flexibility is just um like passive range of motion and um you you know it's nothing to do with strength and then i said to him like and it's just you're in stationary position and i said well what about dynamic stretching or dynamic flexibility because we have thousands of, of clinical studies which investigate the phenomenon called dynamic flexibility so there's, there's a precedent for that um and what people have to understand is that flexibility is, is defined as range of motion and flexibility is inherent in everything that we do because everything we do as human beings when we move will either maintain increase or decrease range of motion so it's yep. influencing rate it's influencing range of motion i.e <clears throat> flexibility so technically everything we do is flexibility training to a degree yeah. right um and really the other stuff we're doing in addition to it is is an add-on to flexibility training so flexibility is at the core of, of what we do so it kind of it makes me smile a little bit when people say you know you know flexibility is useless just to leave it alone we, we don't need flexibility it's like well you, you don't really have a choice uh, it's it's present in everything that you do you know if you yeah. if you want to strength train to increase your range of motion well science and and biomechanics and physics they define range of motion as flexibility because um range of motion 
in physics means the amount that a, a joint can change position, right? And when you read the dictionary, def I know there's flexibility is often defined as being able to bend easily without breaking, but it's also defined as the ability to change or adapt to different, you know, different circumstances. So it's right. that changeability. Right. So it matches up to the physics definition, you know? Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah, so it just makes me laugh a little bit when people say, you know, flexibility, just it's it, just leave it off by the side. It's like, dude, what you're doing is flexibility training. It just it might not be your focus, but everything that you do will influence flexibility to a degree. You know, Abs it's, uh, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's great. Like you, you're not masculine if you're flexible. And that's something I want to talk about, too, as well. Right. But it's like that that I don't really know where that comes from. Maybe you maybe you mm -hmm. have better insight, but like somehow being flexible is attached to being feminine or a woman or weak. And we already know women aren't weak either. So I don't, I don't know where that, that comes from, but you know, it was, it, it's always just been something funny to me. I've always gotten shit for being flexible. Um, yeah. Right. Uh, so I, I don't know. I mean, I say that, like, like you said, it's the foundation, it's the core without flexibility, you know, you, you can't move. So, so you can be as strong as you want in these little mid ranges, um, but you're going to be walking around like Frankenstein, you know, and yeah, uh, absolutely. that's not an ideal life for me. And I don't think most people want that. Um, but once again, there's just, there's so much smoke and mirrors around flexibility. Um, you know, it's feminine, it makes you weak, it makes you slower. Uh, but if you look at the science, like you said, it's at the core of everything. It's like, yeah, you, you, you need to be flexible to bring those, those knees up, those hip flexors. If you're going to be sprinting, you're going to be running. I mean, whatever it is, you need that flexibility. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. 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 So I think we'll, we'll, we'll address those points individually. So the thing about flexibility being feminine, I think comes from two things. Number one, we have to separate flexibility from flexibility training, i.e. stretching, which is most people think flexibility training is, is stretching. And right. those are traditionally associated with um, activities which are dominated by female participants, dance, mm -hmm. gymnastics, uh, you know, ballet, yoga in later life. Right. And so there is that sort of like hypermasculine um, resistance to want to do anything that might be, you know, might be perceived as being a girl, so to speak. Um, so there's that cultural legacy, which I think is changing over time. Yeah. Um, bearing in mind, if anybody has ever met a male gymnast or a male dancer and they see how freakishly strong they are, you know, because they've got, just got that solid foundation, there's, you know, gymnasts, dancers, martial artists are some of the best movers and, you know, they have some of the, the, the best joint capacities out of the entire human species, right? Absolutely. Um, but also, I think it's one of those gut reactions that people have when they can't do something. They try to rubbish what someone else is doing. Yes. So if you're doing the splits and somebody goes, well, shit, I can't do that. I'm just going to, yeah, that's, that's rubbish. I don't need to do that. That's, you know, that's a load of crap. You, you're, you're, only girls do that. It's like, um, so I was a bit of a, bit of a, a naughty kid and I used to fight a lot at school. And um, I used to kick people in the face. Um, and the, the instinctive response when people saw me kick was, you can't kick only only girls and donkeys kick it's like <laughs> hello <laughs> it worked i'm sorry <laughs> you want to start again right um so this idea that only like men only punch or, or wrestle right because those are right. predominantly male sports but it's also because because these these guys aren't training these positions and these these techniques they can't do them so they think oh, i'll try to shit on what you're doing to make myself feel better 
and we see that all the time on social media. People will say certain things about certain people, um, you know, people who are having uh, success in some certain arena and someone will come along and say, that's a load of shit, right? Um, I mean, I do think it's important that we, we call out people who are doing things, well, not call out, but comment on things that people are doing incorrectly for the sake of information. Um, but when people are, are having some success and doing things right, you'll still get, you know, trolls will come along yeah. and say, that's a load of shit. That, that's because they can't do it. You know, they just, it's a way to make people feel better, better about themselves. Ego, but huh? the results, Exactly, exactly. But results speak for themselves. Right. Um, in terms of flexibility making you slow, again, it depends on how you train it. Right. Because flexibility is, and I put a post up about this a few weeks ago, like velocity, which is essentially speed, is the most, um, you know, it's the part of flexibility training, which is left out in a lot of training programs. Um, you know, to be able to move fast through a range of motion, we have to train fast through a range of motion. Um, whether that is, you know, you can do the splits. So now you want to do some leg raises with an increasing range or rate of motion through that range to be able to display that flexibility at speed. Right. Um, that's one way to do it. Um, Tom Kerr's was, was phenomenal for that. Or whether you're a sprinter who ha you've increased your stride length and now you want to start developing, do, doing the sprint drills to be able to display that range of motion at speed. And that's because we have um, two types of stretch receptors in the muscles, uh, nuclear bag and nuclear chain fibers. One responds only to the rate, like the, the magnitude of the stretch, how much the tissue stretch. Mm -hmm. The other responds to how much you stretch, but also how fast you stretch. And so unless you condition them to... Um, be willing to let you display that range of motion at the speed you, you require for want of a better phrase, then you're just going to keep tightening up and you're not going to be able to display your full potential at speed. So velocity training is a huge, you know, it's a huge part of the puzzle and a lot of people miss it out completely. And because they miss it out and they can't do it, they think, you know, flexibility will make you slow, but no, if you develop your dynamic flexibility to a level where you need it and um, you know, research shows that we have to, move at a speed that is at least 75 percent of what we want to achieve right so if you're doing your dynamic stretches or movement flows whatever people want to call them mm -hmm. um like super slow or at a moderate speed that's the speed you're going to show it you know when it right. comes to time to perform so you have to to build up the speed and and not just be able to apply the speed but be able to apply the brakes as well that's a that's a huge part of the, the equation as well yeah um, i was just gonna i was just gonna to yeah. talk about that with the whole, with, you know, you, you can't, uh, you can move fast, but if you don't have the brakes to stop, you know, injuries, injuries aren't far behind. Right. Um, right, exactly. you know, uh, you, you know, it's funny you mentioned that, uh, velocity training, um, is a, is a huge missing link. And, and to be honest, uh, before I came across, you know, FRC years back, hmm. um, I, I hadn't seen anybody doing it and, and you don't see that side on social media, but they had a summit a while back, you know, and they do these summits, which are really cool. And this is where they introduce like their, their new programmings and stuff like the next mm. summit's going to be their strength and conditioning, you know? So yeah, this one was all on like advanced cars and, and velocity training and things like that. And, and it was really cool to see. And, and they talked about that, you know, how important mm. velocity is, mm. um, especially with like uh, relation to flexibility. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, you know, it's, it's not, I, well, I've never seen, you know, going back to like you're saying, like those people usually can't do it or they can't express what they're mm. seeing when they're, when they're bashing flexibility and stuff. I can't recollect seeing any, 
big social media trainer influencer, mm-hmm. you know, any of these people that are, that are bashing, you know, flexibility, mobility training, whatever it is that are just saying like train, you know, don't go beyond 90 degrees with mm-hmm. your joints and, and only train in mid ranges, you know, all yeah. these people are stiff and rigid as shit. None of them are good movers. They may right. be strong in their small ranges, but none of them are good movers. So exactly. you know, going back to what you said, it's that, you know, I think that's probably like the, the biggest, you know, the root cause of their anti this, um, mm-hmm. you know, let's just, I, I don't give a shit. I'll throw people under the bus. If I think you're a clown, I think you're bad for the industry. Um, I'll call you out. And um, so Joel Seeds, is that his name? Joel Seed? uh, Seedman? Seedman. Seedman. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I've heard, I've never cared to look him up. He finally came up in my feed mm-hmm. um, as I was scrolling through. So I, I looked on it and I just happened to click on the one where he was going after pretty much FRC and insane how everything they do pretty much is, is contortionist, extreme mm-hmm. flexibility and this and that. And I'm thinking, you have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. One, like there's no goal to become a contortionist. I don't know where you get that from or like where you think that's the end goal. Um, Yes. Mm -hmm. A lot of those coaches work with, with Cirque du Soleil and people like that because they know how to get strong within those ranges. And those people already have the extreme ranges. They have the passive abilities. Right. But it's like Mm -hmm. um, one of the things this guy said was, mobility training and flexibility training i think i even saw you comment on this one yeah you were on this one this because it's like 22 weeks ago or something but everybody i know and follow had commented on this thing and he was saying that Mm -hmm. essentially all of this and he loves to use contortionist positions or movements i don't know why but that's what he thinks training flexibility and mobility is um Mm -hmm. but but the best thing was you'll be more mobile and have better movement patterning if you only train mid ranges. And I mm-hmm. thought, here's a guy that's got a PhD. Mm-hmm. So you had to have taken just basic anatomy mm-hmm. and, and biomechanic, whatever classes, right? Where, where in, in the studying did it say that if you only train this part of your range, your, you know, that, that curve we're talking about, mm-hmm. and you don't train these end ranges, the short, the long, Mm-hmm. How are you going to move better than someone that has more control and strength throughout that band? Mm-hmm. Like, where, exactly. where, like, and then so confidently say that in every single post to hundreds of thousands of people. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the, and, and the guy's got a blue tick, which just magnifies, you know, there's this idea that uh, if the, the letters after somebody's name and if they have to have a blue tick, then they're an instant authority. And I'm, I keep talking to people about appeals to authority, right? Yeah. I keep saying to people as well, like, when, when I talk, you know, I want, you know, cause I'm doing my own course at the minute and I'm saying to people, I want you to challenge me and question everything I'm saying because Absolutely. I, I might get it wrong, right? Everything I, I, I share is my interpretation of the, of the literature. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, for somebody who's got a PhD in kinesiology, which is the study of human movement right. to say these things about it's such a misrepresentation. So yeah, biomechanically, we tend to be stronger when in that mid range yeah. of, of motion, when there's, you know, optimal overlap of the sarcomeres. Agreed, agreed. So for people who are, who are listening or watching the sarcomeres are basically the, the kind of contractile units that pull together to create tension, to, mm-hmm. to create a contraction. And when they're too short, you know, right at the shortest ranges of motion, they can't contract as much as the middle. And also when you, when they're super stretched out, they can't contract as much, but 
when we what people fail to realize people like joel seedman or he's purposely ignoring i don't know is that we can manipulate through training that force length that length force curve you know so we can we can actually you know grow new sarcomeres through through things especially like eccentric training which is you know you stretch with load or you you stretch to end range and you, you apply symmetric contractions increase the stretch etc all these kind of things are all the top people are doing right? right you can actually extend that that curve you know the, the ends of the curve you can again you, you'll never be as strong at end range as you will in the middle but you can make yourself stronger at end ranges um, biomechanically we know that because we've we've evidenced um you know sarcomerogenesis which is the the generation new sarcomeres in series mm-hmm. um so therefore the, the length gets longer that you can you can perform active contractions and we see it with people all the time if people couldn't physically get stronger at end ranges then people wouldn't get stronger at end ranges but they do right it's it's like you look at hunter fitness you know guy's got amazing you know can do amazing things himself but i always say look at what people's clients can do right it's not so much about what someone can do themselves and you look at hunter's clients and the guy's just got you know hundreds upon hundreds of testimonials Mm -hmm. where people are stronger at end ranges yep. you look at people like um lucas aaron and uh uh jeff wolf uh, range of strength and the flexible that you know using like um squats and deadlifts jefferson curls with super heavy weights at end range mm-hmm. and what people can't get stronger at end range uh, joel i think you need to uh slip out your bubble mate and um you know see what people are actually doing um so there's this so there's a sound biomechanical reason you know we we, we know the mechanical responsive tissues to force at different ranges and that is evidence in what people are physically doing so right. where this guy is coming from i have no idea and all you the frustrating thing when you tend to comment is you know you say let's discuss this i've sent in you know messages saying let's have an open conversation about this and you just get ignored um all he says is go to my website and read my article yep but you read his yoga and contortion article he's quoting fitness magazines and you know uh like uh, exactly yeah like glossy women's magazines like wait what what the hell are you doing right like mm, mm, okay yeah mm, no (laughs) sorry my uh my take on that you know i think really where a lot of that besides ego i think ego's number one Mm -hmm. i think that guy's probably been a shitty mover his whole life you know Mm -hmm. he's a big stiff guy so uh he just sees all that as weak and this and that but I think for a lot of people, what happens is we talked about this, like the biomatrix, right? This, this, mm. this mythical creature that is yeah. biomechanics. Mm-hmm. I think a better way to look at it is break that down, right? The first part mm. is bio, biology, right? So mm-hmm. the other part is mechanics, right? So mach- I think machine, right? So bio, I think human, right? Living, living being, uh, mm. mechanics, I think a machine. So we look at the body as a machine, but also a a living organic machine, right? So yes, levers and pulleys, and it's really good and important to know all this stuff, but you have to remember is that we are still in a very adaptable organic Mm -hmm. machine. And our our goal as a a species, and I think any living, you know, organism is to survive and adapt, right? And you have Mm -hmm. to adapt to survive. So Mm -hmm. to, to put the human body, especially within the confines of these, these, biomechanics right you your your knee can only go to 90 degrees well i guess you've never squatted down to grab something off the floor or pick your child up off the floor right 
and yeah. it, and it's and it's mind blowing that someone that that has probably done those same things in their training will not mm -hmm. ever exceed these ranges because mm -hmm. somehow they're convinced that this is bad. And like, you know, that guy was talking about like, you know, read this article and it was from a surgeon. Well, first off, I don't trust any surgeon. You know, their job isn't movement. Their job mm -hmm. is fixing things you did probably by moving poorly or not having the, the sufficient capacity to move, right? Yeah. So it's like this, this idea that we're a machine and that we should be fixed in these neutral positions and, and mm -hmm. stuck is, it's just, it's so, it's stupid. It's really stupid. Mm -hmm. And when someone has that kind of education, especially, and they've studied this stuff, it's like, mm -hmm. I don't even know how you get stuck there, but it's yeah. really bad for not only your practice, but, but for the rest of the people out there. Mm -hmm. kind of going back to hunter you know hunter's an actual he's, he's a friend of mine right mm -hmm. and and just like you said there's there's so many people see like someone like that and they go i want to move like that and he's going to teach mm -hmm. me to move like that and that's not the case but mm -hmm. what he does is he gives you the tools to to move however you so choose right and mm -hmm. your bio, biological makeup and, and your anatomy and everything is, is going to dictate mm -hmm. a lot of that but given the tools you're going to get the results and you know his specialty is giving you the mobility you need right so it's the cumulative of giving you the flexibility the strength the control and you're right he's got hundreds if not thousands of people that can attest to to the practices uh so obviously flexibility training works obviously these people are getting stronger in fact if you look up the top yogis like la is the mecca for mm -hmm. for the yogis right right there's probably more there than India. Uh, but like, you know, these big ones, these ones with a million followers, they're there. He's probably coached all of those people. Mm. Right. And that's because those people were just passive. They did possess just the passive. Um, so what I want to go into next is let's talk about, there's four types of flexibility, right? Mm. So people out there thinking just passive, mm. that's not the yeah. case. No, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so, and I understand why people, um, especially the medical community, divide it into active and passive because that's just easier right? right but because of that speed component because range of motion well let's just drop flexibility and mobility let's just say range of motion yes range, range of motion is speed specific right so we can only display you know speed in the or speed within the ranges that we have and we have to develop speed within those ranges so <clears throat> the way that we define them is based upon the conditions of the system so to speak which is kind of the body and the environment which is uh, um which is which is within and what it's doing within that space so to speak so very simply that the the human body can do one of two things it can move or it can be still and muscles which cause movement can do one of two things they can contract or they can relax so the terms that are used throughout again you know I, i've been reading the literature for 20 years now uh, it's pretty ubiquitous. There are there are variations, but not enough to kind of move away from these core definitions. If it's moving, it's dynamic. If it's stationary, it's static. And you know those definitions are ubiquitous throughout biology, physics, engineering, uh, medicine. If the tissues crossing the joint are contracting, we mm -hmm. call it active. If they're not, we call it passive because it means they're at rest. And that's it. <laughs> right. that's all there is to it but what we do is th those two states the state of moving or not moving and the state of contracting or relaxing don't occur independently they occur at the same time so we kind of have to mesh them together right so and it's, it's very simple um 
it's just if you're moving and contracting your muscles as we do with normal movement it's dynamic active if you're moving but you're not contracting the muscles like when a physio a physical therapist is doing table tests or you know you know mobilizing like moving the limb for you dynamic mm -hmm. passive because it's moving but you're not contracting the muscles if you're stationary it's static and if you're contracting the muscles it's active like we do with um isometrics you know stretches for example and um if it's if you're not moving and the muscles are not contracting it's static passive right and that's right. that's all there is that's all there is to it. it's pretty it's just pretty pretty straightforward and and the thing is a lot of people get confused between what's the difference between static stretching and passive stretching they're exactly the same thing you know but the, the actual definition is static passive because static only tells you if you're moving or not moving right right and pa passive only tells you that you're you're not you're, you're relaxing the muscles but it doesn't say if there's motion or not right and again we need to to define these because the body will respond to motion or lack of motion and whether there's a, an active input or, or there's or everything's passive the, the body will respond differently to each one so and it, it dictates our training inputs right because the type of i'll say stretching the type of stretching that we do or the kind of training input we use is determined by the name that we use so if you want to increase your dynamic active flexibility you use dynamic active techniques right. movement with load weightlifting, that kind of thing if you want to increase your static active so your ability to stretch out and contract the muscles you do static active inputs you, you you stretch to end range and then contract the muscles right so there's actually there's actually four types right. um you know um and th there is a there is a, a kind of crossover between them as there is yeah. everything and everything in the human body occurs with you know nothing occurs in the body in, in complete isolation right? right all these kind of definitions we have like this is your biceps or this is your 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 humerus everything's the same man it's all the same shit right we, yep. we just give it names to help our understanding so um anything you do within your dynamic active range will bleed over into the other ones as well so there's always a bit of crossover between them but if you want to get better results within a specific range of motion you have to tailor your inputs to that range of motion absolutely so to speak yeah yeah but yeah so there, there are four types basically and that's again that's shown across the I, I always try to be led by the literature um because there are people doing this stuff who are much smarter than i am um and these are the same definitions that people are using in there as well um yeah so it's yeah, I, I, I take a like a physics first approach to, to movement and the human body because physics or the laws of physics govern everything that our human body can do. Right. Um, and, and so that's why I, these, these definitions are primarily physics based. But again, they're ubiquitous throughout the, the medical literature as well. Um, yeah. So there are actually four types of flexibility, not just sitting at end range, just not doing anything, which people call passive range of motion. Right. right. Yeah. Um, something, something I see a lot and, uh, you know, I've been, I've been actually like messaging some people on the side that I see, but I know a lot of these people, you know, they get, um, out of their FRC seminar or whatnot, and they start making their posts and they're excited because you learn this information, mm. but without really understanding the literature, cause no one mm. can understand in a, you know, weekend, you know, mm -hmm. years of, 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 of work from Spina is that they start saying, you know, flexibility is just passive, mm -hmm. right? Flexibility alone is just passive. Um, and they don't really understand what they're really saying, right? They just mm -hmm. think flexibility equals passive and they don't realize that the training they're actually doing now at the FRC is still all flexibility training. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. um, for example, uh, you know, we look at like static active Hells mm -hmm. and rails, stands for progressive, yeah. right? Our long tissue, angular, isometric loading, 
regressive. So mm -hmm. you probably, you, you, uh, you would phrase that. So we call it Pels and Rails, right? For the sake of it, it makes it easy. Uh, I know you love using isometric. So what would you call that, right? We're, we're lengthening the one tissue and then we're contracting the shortening tissue to try to bring yeah. us into a, a better range of motion. Yeah, I just call it agonistic and antagonistic. Right. Yeah, because the, the, for people who aren't aware, the agonist is the muscle that shortens and the antagonist is one that lengthens. Right. So uh, that's, that's, that's the names I'd use. But again, um, people can use whatever names they want at the end of the day. And, you know, obviously you and I had the original conversation because I had seen some stuff about FRC, um, which I disagreed with, but that was because it was stuff being taken out of context yes. and, and being repeated because like we said, you know, you, you can't communicate nuance in a social media caption. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's social media is like a double-edged sword. It's so powerful, but also quite and understanding. Um, but like we say, you know, you get you boiled down to the core ingredients. We're all doing the same stuff. Like even even the cars, like the controlled articular rotations. Like um, I was never shown them the way that you guys do. You guys really break them down into into an assessment, even which I think is great. Um, right. I was shown I was shown uh, joint rotations by Thomas Kurz. You know, mm -hmm. just the, the arm circles, knee circles, and he had some certain rules around them. Um, but again, that's that's FRC's own thing. I think it's great. Um, you know, and you know, I I never teach that because i haven't trained in it you know right um but uh you know again uh like you say people will take stuff out of context but when you boil it down we're we're all doing the same thing at the end of the day yeah but absolutely. um don't you know don't feel like you can't just because um if somebody uses the the term mobility to define say dynamic active flexibility just because science says it's dynamic active flexibility if you want to use the word mobility go ahead and use the word mobility right, right? it's uh, all all i do is i put the point across like look this is what science says um make up your own mind um right. you know uh because a lot of times when people counter that they tend to come back to me and say well you're just talking about semantics your argument's based on semantics so you, you you're kind of arguing a pointless uh, argument here and i'm like well your arguments based on semantics you're saying a certain word means a certain thing when when we look at the science it doesn't all i'm trying to do is show you what the science says at the end of the day right. make up your own mind i had a conversation about this with um amir um be it the best you can be yeah in his comments uh, i got tagged and he was saying you know he said flexibility is this mobility is this and i was like look you know this is what the science says um at the end of the day i respect amir's uh right to choose his own training language his own coaching language right so you know, my context is, is the literature, you know, what FRC chooses to use is within the context of the FRC system, right? right? What, what words do you, you choose to use? You could choose completely arbitrary words, but if that's what works for you and your client, crack on. At yeah. the end of the day, it's not the words that matter. It's what we're doing that matters, right? Absolutely. Uh, the, the results, the results are the important thing, you know, do semantics exactly. really even fucking matter. Yeah. I mean, I think it does when people are saying like, you know, um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. When people are saying something is this uh, and it's absolutely true. It's like, well, hang on a second. It's let's just take a step back and see what, you know, you know, the authorities on the subject are actually saying. Right. Um, but again, it's one of those, you know, let's try to present your opinion as a, this is what the information says. I'll leave it to you to make up your own mind. It's only when people come out and really bad. I mean, static stretching or static passive stretching gets such a, it's getting such a rough time in the literally in the industry at the minute, especially on social media. You've got coming out people saying, you know, 
um, static, we'll just, we'll just use static stretching. Yeah. Uh, static stretching is completely useless. It doesn't do anything. Um, it'll, it'll, it'll make you explode if you do it before, you know, before movement. It's like, hang on a second. <laughs> Let's just, and these are people again with like doctors of physical therapy or they're athletes with um, millions of followers. Right. So hang on a second. If you take a step back, um, static stretching almost 100% of the time shows an increase in range of motion. And it's, so it's quite effective. Um, does it injure you prior to a workout? No, <laughs> it, it doesn't. The, the decrements in performance are between one and 5% on average, which mm -hmm. for the average gym goer is going to be absolutely negligible unless you're an elite high level athlete. Right. Um, and also we have studies by people like David Bem, um, which has shown that when you follow, when you limit the time and intensity of static stretching prior to a, a workout and you follow it with dynamic movements, there's no, there's no decrement in performance whatsoever. Right. Um, but again, it's just this, it's just this brush that people are tarnishing static stretching with. Um, I, and some people seem to assume that I'm a static stretching, uh, you know, diehard. Absolutely not. You know, static stretching, it, it's very slow compared to the other methods. It should be um, like a supplement to other methods like eccentric training, isometrics, loaded right. stretching, all right. these different things. And all it does is it, it enhances what you're already doing with force. So your, we'll say force or strength-based input, static stretching, passive stretching, will just make that a little bit better and make right. your progress that little bit faster. Um, but yeah, people have, have probably been ripping into it like, uh, you know, oh, it's useless, it'll make your legs fall off and all this kind of crazy stuff. It's like, hang on a sec, just, just chill and see what the literature actually says. Yeah, you know? well, here's the thing too is like, I know so, so I mean, we, uh, going back to FRC, um, and I just like, I like to reference it because I do think it is a great system uh, mm. when it does come to flexibility training and strength training, you know, um, yeah. they, they've done it right. Dre's done it right. But like he said, it's not his, you know, it's not his stuff. He's just taking all the literature and he's just formatted it in a way that's mm. very coachable and actually very simple. If you, if you mm. don't try to dissect it so much, right. Um, coaching made simple. That's really it. Mm. Yeah. But people would be like, so we shouldn't stretch anymore. And he's, and he's like, what the fuck you, where, where did you, like, where did you, where did I say that? No. I mean, if you can't get into a certain range, then you need to start spending fucking a lot of time there. You know, if you want to get into the splits, you're going to have to sit in the splits, you know, at the range you acquire five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever it means to be, you need to start getting comfortable there because the only reason you can't go there is because your nervous system does not feel safe there. Mm -hmm. Right. But trying to just force yourself into that range isn't going to just overwrite the nervous system. The nervous system mm -hmm. would be like, fuck you. It's going to tighten things up more. Maybe right. that's where you do get injured. Right. Mm -hmm. But you absolutely yeah. need to sit and get comfortable there. I mean, I sit there and I'll meditate in something that's, that's mm -hmm. my end range. And I just breathe and I, and I tell myself to let go and let me go there. But once mm -hmm. I'm there, you better believe I'm going to actively train that new range of motion. Yeah. Right. I'm not yeah, going to sit in the splits for 20 minutes and then get up and grab 50 pound dumbbells and drop back into the splits. Mm -hmm. That'd be absurd. Right. Right. But, but I'm going to load it and I'm going to get strong there to build the capacity. But you, you absolutely static stretching is very important, you know, mm -hmm but doing it and coupling it with the right other, um, you know, approaches, other, other, other tools is, is a must. Right. But it's mm. this, this notion that like just static stretching is, is, is blasphemy. It's just, it's mm. silly. It's silly. Yeah. 
absolutely absolutely and again it's when you look at the literature it is it can be quite effective it's just really um the kind of rate of progress and the total amount of progress will be less than other types of, of training like strength right. training and isometrics but think about what's going on like the body responds to force it's the only thing it can respond to so when you've got more force there's going to be a greater response so you know it, it absolutely makes sense why it's a lot slower and doesn't have as as much of a result as loaded or you know isometric uh isometric um loading does right um but yeah there's it, you know the, the, the science and the evidence is is pretty unanimous it does work just not as well as the other stuff but a completely you know a rational well-rounded training program will include all of them right because there are going to be times when you need to move under load when you need to hold a position at end range under load you know um so you need to add those in as well but static stretching just makes it you know gives you that little bit of an edge um it's been shown to increase strength and hypertrophy when we do it in between sets of loaded movements um it actually enhances rate of progress for isometric stretching as well so somebody who um let's say they can sit in a middle split or a pancake with the legs 90 degrees apart so to get a full middle split they need to get another 90 degrees for 180 when they use isometric stretching alone it will probably take them about nine ten months right obviously if you use loaded movements it'll be a lot quicker right. but when you when you add static passive stretching into that you knock off a good couple of months yeah. um, because they they augment each other same with static passive stretching alone if you just do static passive stretching it'll take you probably 12 to 18 months to do to get the the, the other 90 degrees right you know so but it, it, there's this kind of either or mentality running through the industry and on social media that you you can only do this or you can only do this it's like well why can't you do both yeah <laughs> it's you know it's yeah it, it it blows my mind the 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 attitude that some people have um but yeah uh it's uh <laughs> it's a see some crazy stuff on 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 social media man yeah man i i think uh what you just said hit a hit a good point i mean i i think and it's probably why it's like one of the staples with the with the frs system um passive followed by isometric so that's what pels and rails is you know we're, we're gonna yeah. have you sit for at least two minutes because that's what the literature shows that it takes in or around two minutes to even override the stretch reflex right so response we're gonna sit there for two minutes and then we're gonna go maximal efforts isometrically contracting to pull you into a deeper range and then we're gonna go back and sit and passively stretch again for you know enough time to let the nervous system recover and then we're going to go back into isometrics and of all my years training i have not seen any other two combined um approaches to gain faster results and flexibility but not only flexibility but with that strength because mm -hmm. the isometric contraction so it's like it's it's probably the fastest i think greatest tool would be combining the two of both passive and, and isometric so for you what what is your favorite approach for or most used approach when it comes to increasing the range of motion um for yeah yeah, yeah. i i wrote this on a caption just a couple of weeks ago isometrics all the way um right. you know if, if i've got a complete beginner then i'll start them with static passive stretching if they've never done anything or they haven't done anything for a long time because even Again, it depends on intensity, but mm. when you're holding static passive stretches for a certain length of time at a certain intensity, even that can cause DOMS, oh, know, delayed, yeah. onset, <laughs> delayed onset muscle soreness, because what people don't realize is that static stretching is just low level mechanical loading, right? There's still like a tensile force being imparted on the tissue. So they're still yeah. under force and they're going to get a response. But yeah, um, isometrics all the way. Um, I typically like, again, 
you guys use the term pales and rails. I just use, uh, you know, CRAC. So it's, you contract, relax the antagonist, and then you contract the, the agonist to get a bit more reciprocal inhibition to be able to stretch a bit further, hold the passive stretch for a bit longer, and then repeat, repeat, repeat. Right. And then eventually, eventually add, add external load to that. Absolutely. Um, you know, and there's this, uh, you know, my per this is my personal approach. So if people have different coaching methods, that's up to them. But I always get people comfortable with isometrics first before I add external load. Absolutely. Um, unless unless they have some kind of solid training background, if they're they've been a competitive level weightlifter or they've done CrossFit with good range of motion, right? Then we don't need to take baby steps as much. But if they're brand new and they're yes. super stiff, then get them used to passive stretches first. Then introduce low level isometrics build up that tolerance you know that maximum voluntary contraction once they can tolerate those uh, internal demands then you can start looking at you know external load as well Absolutely. because if the if the load is too much so if you're trying to stretch with weight that is too heavy it's going to have the same effect as if you're trying to stretch through a range of motion that you're you're not used to the nervous system is going to go nope <laughs> it's right. going to yank it right back. It's like I used an analogy um, a couple of, uh, like a week ago or so ago. It's like a, it's like a, an overprotective parent, the nervous system, right? Yep. So if you try and uh, break curfew, so to speak, uh, then that that nervous system, that parent is just going to ground you and say you're not going out <laughs> until you can prove to me that you have earned the right to go out and, and go past curfew, right? So and you do that by spending time in the position or communicating with the nervous system through force right that's essentially what force is that's the way you know these isometric contractions people think oh, i'm building strength but actually it's it's a way for you to talk to your body um and tell it like look actually you know i can contract here i can i can safely move through this range of right. motion and that's what you're doing at the end of the day you're, you're talking to your body absolutely um you know but some people just think it's oh i have to get the gains build the muscle right and it's like just slow down back off a little bit and just uh Treat your body with a bit of respect because um, your brain and nervous system and body know 10 times more than we actually do. Right? Absolutely. Our body knows <laughs> what's know? best for us, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I, I use a very, very similar analogy, right? It's, it's, it's like, you know, your nervous system is your God. It is your parent, whatever it may be. It is, it is your authority. It knows what's best for you. It's smarter than you. We understand very little about it, but what we do know about it is that, if it does not feel comfortable or safe in a certain range, it is not going to allow you to go there. Now we do have neurological and we do have mechanical tension, right? These two different types of tension. Mm -hmm. And most people probably wouldn't know how to differentiate the two, but if you're trained, you, you, you can mm -hmm. through palpitating yeah. and different things. Yeah. For most part, if it, most people, it's a neurological issue. Mm -hmm. And if it is, typically isometrics is going to overcome it. And if you can't mm -hmm. overcome that, that range of motion restriction, then you, you can pretty much assume that it is just um, neurological and you can continue to train that, that way. Mm -hmm. But basically at the end of the day is if you can't go somewhere. It's because your body doesn't feel safe. Mm -hmm. So that means you need right. to take the body there and you need to make it feel safe there so that it allows you to go further. But this notion mm -hmm. that like, Oh no, man, my mom just wasn't flexible or it's genetics or I've just never been flexible. Um, yes, we know that there's certain very rare conditions and some anatomical restrictions, but for most part, it's not an anatomical thing. It's a neurological thing. The CNS just says, no, I don't feel comfortable here. So you're not going to go there. So instead of fighting it, work with it. And, 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 and just like you said, we're communicating. That's at the end of the day, no matter what type of training you're doing, 
you are just mm -hmm. giving it the inputs, hopefully the inputs it needs so that it allows you mm -hmm. to do the things you want to do. Let's get comfortable there. The body will adapt and then you can progress, right? Progressive overload, you know, right. <laughs> um, you want to get more flexible, spend more times in those ranges, but it's, it, it's, it's all at the end of the day is it's just giving the inputs the body needs and wants to, to influence adaptation, whether it, whether it's more range of motion or it's speed or strength, whatever it is, it's just giving the right inputs, you know? And if you just look at training that way, it really simplifies this overcomplicated thing called training, right? Yeah. 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 The th thing about the human body is we know it's incredibly adaptive um, and it responds to its external environment in very specific ways. And a lot of people have this assumption that the central nervous system and the body, it's, it's very restrictive and it doesn't like to give you certain things. It'll give you exactly what you ask it for. Right. So if you strength train, it'll make you stronger. If you sit at a desk for 20 years, you know, eight hours a day, 20 years, and then drive home, for an hour and then sit on the sofa watching Netflix and then go to sleep and you repeat that for 20 years, it's going to give you exactly what you asked for because by doing that, you're asking it to restrict your range of motion and to make right. you better at what you're doing. So if, Absolutely. if this, is your, this is your position for eight hours a day, the body's going to be fantastic at doing that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, and, and that shocks a few people when I first tell them like to say, Oh, I'm really tight here and I'm really tight there. And it's like, well, you, your body's giving you exactly what you've asked for. Yeah. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Well, tell me what your movement habits are. What is your daily communication with your body? And they're like, oh, well, you know, I, I sit at a desk and I'm like, you know, I maybe walk about 500 steps a day and it's like, oh Christ. You know, yeah. I think movement's probably the, you know, flexibility is probably the least that you can say, let's go and get a, you know, blood pressure checked and yeah. <laughs> your blood sugar's checked. But yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's communication at the end of the day. It's movement and, and load and all this kind of thing. It's you talking to your body and what you say to it will dictate what it gives to you right because it will give you exactly what you asked for but you have to ask for it in specific ways you know like you say progressive overload uh you know not trying to push too far too soon right because uh, all these things take time at the end of the day um yeah it's uh it's a funny one when when people say like oh why am i tight well when did you last try and open up that part of your body uh right. 1986 <laughs> like, yeah you know yeah it's uh, the body is the body is not going to waste energy on things it deems unnecessary, right? So, um, you know, kind of referring to the, the the desk jockey, right? I remember telling a client this once, and they they just they couldn't they couldn't grasp this concept. But I told them, you're not out of shape for your life. You're mm -hmm. actually like the most efficient you can be for what you do. Maybe right. just now you want to do something beyond that. Now you want to run but you've yeah. been sitting at a desk for 15 years. So your body is very good at sitting at a desk because that is yeah. your life. So an obese person is not out of shape for their demands and lifestyle mm. because yeah. the body, the body doesn't go, Oh, you're fat. You can't have kids. I mean, our body, you can still produce children mm. being unhealthy as can be. Right. And that's mm. the end goal is the body just to reprocreate, right. To, to, right. to live, to thrive. So no one's really out of shape for their life if that's what their life brought them to right yeah but but that's just that's just such a hard concept and maybe a hard pill to swallow for people but it's like no your body adapted to what it thought was best for you and your lifestyle and now that you want a different lifestyle you have to 
train it differently, have to do different things, give it different inputs so that it can adapt to that. But the thing is, is that is going to take a lot of time and a lot of different inputs and variables mm -hmm. and just basic anatomy. But a, a split squat in no means is a full hip range of motion exercise because the hip does a lot more than extend and flex. Well, that's what I was say. What, what range of motion are we talking about, right? right. Because, and and we'll, we'll go into that in maybe a future episode about degrees of freedom, like the directions that a joint can travel in through space. Yes. Um, but any exercise will only influence the ranges that it travels in. Um, and loaded, we'll call it loaded stretching especially, will work for you if you first have the passive capacity to move into that range. If you've got somebody who has, like we said, mechanical tension in the calf, Right. Or they've had some kind of, um, you know, trauma to the ankle joint and they've, you know, they've had some kind of um, ligament sprain or some kind of, you know, they've got scar tissue, fi fibrotic tissue in the Achilles tendon, which limits extensibility. Right. Then the stuff we need to do before we start adding load to that, before we can make that movement safe. If somebody passively can fully dorsiflex the ankle then yeah, sure. We can start adding a bit of load Absolutely. and, you know, and that will, you know, for, for most regular people, that will, is a, is a good way to uh, increase load. Bearing in mind, I, I always tell, tell people when you're, when you're adding load, trying to increase flexibility that you never try to push more than 10% of your, your existing or 10 degrees of your existing range. But you first have to demonstrate that you have that passive range first to, Absolutely. you know, you, or that capacity, so to speak. But yeah, if, if you get somebody who just, who, who has, doesn't have any cap passive capacity and they throw a weight on their shoulders and move in any direction, then from just purely from my experience, and I'm not a clinician, right? I trained as a, as a sports therapist, which I think in America you would call a, a, an athletic trainer. Mm -hmm. So I'm not a chiropractor or a, or a physical therapist, but from my experience, throwing a load on somebody who, isn't, who doesn't have that passive capacity first, that potential is a recipe for disaster. Absolutely. Um, especially with the eagerness that most people will try and add load because they'll tend to think, oh, this, this stretch isn't working. I need to add more load to make it more effective. It's like, well, no, 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 no. You need to come off, come off the weight, the, 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 the squat platform or whatever you're on, get on the table and let me assess that joint first. Um, and that's what's missing from a lot of programs is that ability to assess a joint. Absolutely. Um, because again, we don't know if there is some anatomical issue there for a lot of people, there won't be, but for some people there will, Absolutely. and there may be, there may be some kind of impingement in the, in the anterior capsule, yep. which if you're, you're sticking a barbell on your shoulders and you're trying to load that impingement, well, you know, I hope you like being injured. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, Working through closing angle joint pain is, is not a, a very ideal way to train. Yeah, yeah. Is that, is that you, what you guys call just look like the pinching sensation at the front of the joint? Yeah, right. yeah, absolutely. So, to me, that's, that's a warning sign. And that's the body saying, uh, hang on a second, you're, you're asking to do this, but here's some information you need to know first before we can make that safe. Because again, the body knows way more than you do. Absolutely. Um, and if you're ignoring those warning signs, it's like anything else, right? If you have, if you have pain in the spine when you're asleep, at, when, you, when you're at nighttime and it keeps you awake and you're having night sweats, that's your body telling you this potentially something sinister going on and if you don't get it checked out then there's potentially worse news down the line right. same with same with movement if you get cramping or spasms or um you know closing angle joint pain or pinching then something's going on with that movement swallow your ego take a step back assess what's going on if you don't know how to do it find someone who does um and then you know don't insult the intelligence of the human body by trying to force your way through it because right. 
it's that overprotective parent. You know, you're trying to rebel against that overprotective parent. It's going to go nah. Yeah. Every time you're trying to move into that range of motion, you're causing this pain, which is going to cause damage. I'm going to, you know, pull it back, apply a curfew, and you can't go there until you show me that you're ready for it. Right. And we do that by assessing the joint and making sure it has all the capacity to do it. Um, so yeah, um, loaded movements are great for developing range of motion and strength, but typically the people who can do that have already had the capacity and no obstacles to doing that. It's not a one size fits all thing for everyone. Um, and we have to be mindful, um, on social media when saying, you know, two plus two equals four, because it's not a controlled environment, right? right? It's, um, and I know that a, a clinic or a, a coach client setting isn't as controlled an environment as say a randomized control trial, but it's a lot more controlled than what you see on social media. So you and your client know exactly what's going on. You can palpate Absolutely. that joint, you can test its passive capacities, and therefore you know if, it, if it's okay to move into that range. Right. Whereas on social media, somebody's saying, you know, oh, this, this new bicep curl I invented is great for shoulder rotation, you know. I, I'm just trying right. to think. Right, right. Just, and insert arbitrary example here is great for everything it's like well people can say what the hell they want on social media right and there's no there's no there's no there's nothing to to stop people saying what they want so it's just a load of there's a load of sewage just floating around on social media and yeah it's um so yeah split squat specifically i think is a great exercise and yeah i think if you even spoke to the atg guys themselves they say we we didn't invent it we just named it this because it was easier within our system right and again which is fine but yeah so so yeah um so i i I just call them lunges right (laughs) you know people call it split squat i just call it a front lunge um which is which it it is great for for ankle flexibility for certain types of of hip flexibility under certain conditions exactly right under certain conditions, right? And until you know what the actual capacities of those joints and uh, the human body is before you start loading, then uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's dangerous territory, you know? Absolutely, man. I have a, I have a hard time really, you know, not, res- not that I don't respect the human behind the coach, but any coach that someone drops a comment and says, Hey man, I got back pain or my, my, my ankle, like my, my knees don't go forward. You know, what's the best exercise for that? And they go, Oh, do this. Oh, I tried that. It hurts. Oh, well then just regress it. This whole, just like regress, progress the exercise. If, if that's as simple as it was to, and we're talking now people that actually have like restrictions, mechanical restrictions or whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Like if it was that simple, then there would be way less professionals. I mean, the job, everybody would be doing it if it was that easy. But the simple, the simple fact is, is that when someone does that or says that, mm-hmm. what that tells me is they don't possess the ability to assess or know how to assess somebody. Because if they did, they'd never just prescribe something without assessing someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? absolutely. And, yeah. and I think if you don't know how to assess a human, then I don't think you should call yourself a movement specialist or mm-hmm. whatever you want a title is. If you put professional behind it and it has to do with human movement, mm-hmm. um, you know, I just, I can't, I can't respect that title because you don't even know how to assess the body and like at the joint level. And yes, we, the argument I've had from people is like, well, the, the body's dynamic. It works as a whole. I have been uh, incorporating postural therapy into my training for years. I don't post that on my Instagram because for me, I find that like range of motion discrepancy is like the biggest issue we have in training right? Yeah. And in sports and everything. So that's like what I post. And that's what I, my business mm-hmm. I'm trying to push. 
Yeah. Um, but I'm well aware that symmetry and balance, all this stuff affects, you know, that the shoulder can affect the pelvis and vice versa. I get all that. But the bottom line is, instead of doing all this guessing and, and, and patterizing movement screenings, you know, you can put someone on a table, you can assess somebody's joints very quickly and go, oh, that doesn't have the ability right now to do that exercise. So despite what's causing that discrepancy, you know, maybe, maybe my pelvis is because I know my pelvis is fucked up my spine and things like that. <laughs> maybe that's the case, but whatever it may be right now, until we figure that out through other testing and reassessing, I'm not going to have you just put a bar on your back and have you do a lunge and say, well, just elevate the front foot. And then that, that, that will help with the ankle or that will take the knee pain away. Like, no, that ankle doesn't possess the passive ability to go into that degree of dorsiflexion. So why the hell would I load it now with external forces? So right. it's just uh, kind of an ending note to this podcast. But I think that is like where the, the, the biggest problem we really see is, is, is people just saying, you know, do this or that without ever assessing and looking at, at the person in front of them or dropping a comment, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, man. So Dan, before we wrap this up, uh, thank you so much. We're definitely going to do this again, man. This is my mm-hmm. first one. So for any of you listening, you know, we might've been all over the place. These will get better. It's my first podcast. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I want to thank Dan. Um, he's an awesome, awesome human being. Um, where can people, you know, plug in your, your, um, sources, man, where can people reach you and also check out, you know, your new program you dropped your, uh, go ahead and talk about yeah, that. Yeah, of course. Quick. Yeah. So I'm mostly on Instagram. Um, at flexibility.research. Um, I do have a YouTube channel as well, which is under my name, which people can see on the, on the screen here, uh, Dan Van Zandt. Um, yeah, so I created a 16-week training program for, you know, for training the trainers, which is telling them the science behind flexibility. Because um, a lot of courses out there which teach you what to do, but not the why. And the why informs a lot of the what. Yes. Um, and it's 16 weeks because I know there, is, there are some great, shorter programs out there but it's a lot of information to digest so this is you know it's a 16-week program it's called the master flexibility trainer course next intake open opens up in january it's a limited intake so i can focus on the quality um you know the learning experience for the, for the learners so um yeah keep it keep an eye out for that uh, there'll be some news coming i've got another podcast coming out another episode next uh, next week i think Awesome. Um, which is which is genetics and flexibility, which I know we we kind of touched on today. Yeah. Um, so there'll be some some truth bombs in that. So yeah, I've got some other shorter courses coming out as well. But just check out at flexibility research, uh, and all the good stuffs on there, man. But uh, thank you for the for the opportunity, mate. It's always good to catch up. Yeah, yeah. man, I, I love it. I appreciate it. There's there's we could talk mm-hmm. forever. Um, yeah. We'll definitely do it again, man. There's some other other rabbit holes I definitely want to dive down. Um, but um, you know anybody listening? Um, thanks for listening and, uh, Dan, thank you so much, brother. Uh, hopefully yeah, that knee you, heals up soon and, uh, thank you, man. We'll, we'll talk soon, mate. We will take care, Bye, my brother. friend.